0: Now, I know many of you are aware that my family is in the habit of rescuing dogs. This is a new thing for the McPhails. We didn't do this when we lived in Canada. But we moved to Nassau five and a half years ago, and my wife in particular was moved by the number of stray dogs on our streets and made it her purpose to adopt not a little a bit of them, but we've adopted over six, or we've rescued six potcakes in the five and a half years that we've lived here. Now, various circumstances have led us to currently only have four potcakes. And for, again, a variety of reasons, two of our potcakes are predominantly indoor dogs, and two of our potcakes t- pot remain outdoors. Now, one of my indoor dogs goes by the name of Snickers. And I've even made it possible for us to have a picture of Snickers up on the screen today. Snickers, as you can see, is a beautiful pit cake. And I think many of you know that a pit cake is a combination of when you have a pot cake with some pit bull in them. So Snickers is our beautiful pit cake, but we have to be very careful with Snickers. Snickers. When we let Snickers outside. You see, Snickers does not cope well with the Bahamian heat. She tends to get exhausted and overheats very quickly, and she doesn't know how to cope with it. While my other three dogs are very good at seeking out and finding shade, Snickers will be the one who lies in the middle of the driveway, in the middle of the blazing sun. Well, my other three dogs are smart enough to see that the plants in our garden have collected water from which they can drink. Snickers bypasses these plants for any hydration. It doesn't take long for Snickers to show visible signs of distress. And so we have to bring Snickers inside after only a short period outside. And Snickers will be panting intensely, and there's a swelling of her mouth, and you know it's not good. So we bring her inside, we try to get her to lie down on the cool tiles, we lead her to the water, and we try to compel her to drink. But even though she is desperately thirsty, she almost always refuses my invitation to take a drink. I worry about Snickers. I worry about Snickers because her lack of awareness places her in great danger. And I share this illustration with you because I think it aptly illustrates the human predicament. That is to say that God has designed every human being on earth to have a spiritual thirst not everyone recognizes that they are thirsty. God has so designed us, he has so created us, he has so programmed us that every human being who's ever lived has been designed to have a spiritual thirst, but the reality is not everyone realizes just how thirsty they are. And if we don't recognize how thirsty we are, we won't seek to have our thirst satisfied in Him. Augustine frames this well when he says, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until we find our rest in Thee. Well, as we turn to Psalm 42 this morning, we are immediately confronted by an individual who has a keen awareness of his thirst. The author of the psalm writes in the very beginning, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Using this metaphor of thirst, the psalmist conveys his longing and his desperation for intimacy with God. And if you read on in Psalm 42, you'll also hear the author lament a feeling of disconnection with God. The psalmist feels as though God were not near. The psalmist feels that God is in the distance. I regularly meet with individuals who express having similar experiences. I often meet with people in the church who will express to me their embarrassment with what they perceive to be lacking in their walk with Christ. I regularly hear laments from those who are frustrated by their ongoing struggles with sin and temptation. I hear regret from those who don't know their Bible as well as they think they should. But what is behind these feelings of regret is often quite positive, and that is thirst. Though we're not as far along in the journey as we'd like to be, though we're not As much like Christ as we want to be. The thing that we have going for many of us is we're thirsty. Thirsty to be satisfied and transformed by God. And our thirst is an extremely positive thing. So I want you to know that I'm not thrown off by the person whose theology is jumbled. Some people think that because I've studied theology as long as I have and because Reformed theology is so dear to my heart that I will be picky and will be critical of your theology. I'm, I can be very patient with jumbled theology if you are thirsty for the Lord. If you are thirsty for His Word. I'm not unduly alarmed when I hear a Christian express his or her struggle with temptation and sin. I think that's normal. I think we all go through these battles with temptation and sin. What worries me, where I get really concerned about those that I'm charged to shepherd, what worries me is when there's no evidence... To suggest that the person is thirsting for the presence and the provision of God. Because we cannot grow in Christ-likeness. We cannot grow in Christ's likeness unless we are thirsting for the presence and provision of God. Now I've stated that negatively. Let me frame this Positively. Thirsting for God will will facilitate our spiritual health if we possess an understanding of what can truly satisfy us. This is key. Thirsting for God will facilitate our spiritual health if we possess an understanding of what can truly satisfy us. So what's the problem? Why don't we have more Christians who are satisfied with their walk with Christ? What's our problem? The problem, Tim Keller identifies, is that most people are not able to identify their soul thirst for what it is. That is, you have a category of people on the one hand who don't even know they're thirsty. And you've got another category into which a great many in our population fall into. Another category where we sense our thirst, but we are completely unsure of what it will take to satisfy that thirst. Friends, it's not difficult to look around in society and to see all the different things that we're giving ourselves to and pouring our energies into to see all the things that we think might satisfy our thirst. And I know I'm going to be speaking probably to all of us in, in one shape or form. Because I think we've all been there. Many of us think if we have a certain relationship, that will satisfy us. If, if you're an adult and if you're single, you, you think, well, if I need a certain partner that I can get married to, then that will satisfy me. Or maybe we think it's a friendship. We're in school and we really want the encouragement of peers. And so we think a certain friendship will satisfy our soul. Then there are those as as we go through school and we get into the workforce, those who think that if I could only get this certain job, If I could only set a course on this career or vocation, if I could get this position within that company, then I would be satisfied. Still others think in terms of their bank account. They think, well, gee, when I was a student, I didn't have very much, but now I've got this job and this career, and I'm starting to amass possessions. Some of us imagine if we can only get to this point where we're debt-free, or we have enough for a second home, or if we have enough for this luxury. Some of us think if only we acquire this amount of resources, then we'll be satisfied. And I, I remember, it was a long time ago, my daughter will remind me since I've been in school, But as students, you think, well, if I get a certain grade, I'm taking these courses and I need a certain grade point average in order to get into this particular school, and that school sets my life on a particular course, you think if you get that grade and that diploma and that degree from that school, then everything will be okay. Tim Keller goes on to say, most people keep telling themselves that the reason we remain unfulfilled is because we simply haven't yet been able to achieve our goals. But could it be, could it be that we are looking for ultimate fulfillment, we're looking for ultimate satisfaction in things that were never designed or intended to satisfy us in this way? Now, I'm not saying that good grades are a bad idea. Go get the best grades you possibly can. I'm not saying that a healthy bank account is a bad idea. Sure, work as hard as you can to accumulate all the resources you can. It's okay, It's, it's encouraged that you seek after healthy relationships. What I'm hearing from Scripture isn't that those things are bad. What I'm hearing from Scripture is those things can't ultimately satisfy you. So if your hope is in your spouse, if your hope is in your friendships, if your hope is in your money, if your hope is in your reputation, you're going to spend most of your life feeling a huge sense of unfulfillment. None of these things can fill the God-shaped void within every human being. be that Augustine was entirely correct. Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Are you feeling restless at all today? Are you feeling some sense of lack of fulfillment? Well, I hope if you do. That's not a bad thing to be restless. It's not a bad thing to be unfulfilled. What's most important here is that unfulfillment, that dissatisfaction creates in you a thirst. Because being thirsty is massively positive if you gain the understanding of what and who can quench that thirst. The psalmist knows. The author of Psalm 42 knows what will quench his thirst. But I want you to notice, because this is key, and it's different than most Christians today, and it's probably different from my natural tendency. The psalmist doesn't even ask for God to change his circumstances. Did you see that? The psalmist is seriously struggling when he writes this. Look at verse 3. This is, this is authentic stuff. He says, my tears have been my food all day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? The author of Psalm 42 isn't simply having a bad day. This is more than him feeling a little bit down or somewhat melancholy. He says, My tears have been my food. All he can think about is how sad and upset and how broken he is. And things are so bad in his life that everyone around him is noticing. Things are so bad that everyone around him is noticing and they're mocking him because they know he's a man of faith. And they see his dire predicament and they say to him, Where's your God? If your God's so good, why are things going so badly for you? You keep reading in the psalm. It's, it's almost like a therapy session. The psalmist is trying to talk himself out of this funk. Look at verse 5. He's talking to himself. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Then in verse 7 the psalmist likens his struggles to waves crashing over him. Things are bad. Things are really bad from the outward circumstances that are crashing over him like waves to the struggles he's experiencing on the inside which causes him to perceive in himself a downcast soul. Things are going dreadfully. And yet at no point in the psalm do you hear the author say, Lord, get me out of here. Lord, make this go away. I can't take it anymore. He doesn't even ask for the Lord to change his circumstances. What we see instead is a persistent resolve to pursue God and to hope in God even during these challenging times. For the psalmist, the most satisfying thing in the world is not the absence of trouble. For the psalmist, the most satisfying thing in the world is the presence of God in the midst of great trouble. As I look out this morning, I have a sense of what a few of you are going through. I've walked with you through some difficult things. I've heard from you and your struggles. I know what some of you are going through. Now, for the most part, for most of you, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your challenges are. I don't know what is making your soul downcast. But I am certain of this I am certain of what your soul needs. I am certain of that which can quench your thirst. The psalmist believed that God could satisfy his thirst. And then many years later, Jesus comes along and promises to personally satisfy our thirst. You heard it read earlier where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So in order to be satisfied, there is something that remains for you to do. In order for our thirst to be quenched, an action is required. Jesus says very specifically, the bread of life is given to those who go to Him. The bread of life is given to those who come to Him. Those who have their thirst satisfied believe in Him and trust in Him. Now many Christians hear that or they read that and they immediately think of their conversion. And certainly we want those who have not yet come to Christ to come. And yes, of course, we want those who have not yet trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ to begin trusting in Him. But I would like to suggest to you that the call to be satisfied in Jesus is not merely a call to the unconverted. So believing that most people here have made a profession of sorts, that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, please hear this. The call to be satisfied in Jesus is not merely a call to the unconverted. For we who already believe, we must come often to the fount of every blessing. The metaphor... I'll I'll take that as an amen. (laughs) The the metaphor helps us. The metaphor of thirst helps us. Coming to Jesus can no more be a one-time event than having a drink of water can be a one-time event. Just as we need a regular intake of water throughout the course of the day, we need a regular intake of Jesus Christ in order to experience the satisfaction and the joy that He promises. So please don't think this message is simply for those who haven't yet believed in the name of Jesus. Please don't think this message is simply for those who have not yet trusted in the goodness of God. By every appearance in this psalm and elsewhere in scripture, our seeking Christ, our thirsting to be satisfied by him needs to be ongoing. I want to say it needs to be a daily thing, but I'm convicted to say that it's an hour by hour thing, maybe even a moment by moment thing. And that's why you have Jesus say things like, abide in me. Stay connected to me. Because the minute you disconnect, you lose your satisfaction. You lose your joy. You lose your your, your peace. Stay connected to me. Now it's possible that you have terrific theology. Whether you've studied formally or not, you you might subscribe to substitutionary atonement, you might have a great handle on how the sovereignty of God works concurrently with human responsibility, you might have terrific theology, you might be an outstanding churchman. Or an outstanding churchwoman. That is, you regularly attend to services of worship. You participate in the life and work of the church on an ongoing basis. You give of your resources. You might be an excellent churchman. These are all positive things, but you need to know that possessing terrific theology will not quench your thirst. Being a good churchwoman will not quench your thirst. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Only God can satisfy your soul. The competition for our soul's attention is enormous. But only God can satisfy your soul. Only Jesus can quench your thirst. If you drink from any other fountain, you will be thirsty very quickly. The benefits of drinking from other fountains will be fleeting. Only God can satisfy. Only Jesus can quench your thirst. And unfortunately, we live in a world where this reality is not widely known, nor is it readily accepted, and that makes me think of a story told by John S. Dunn of early Spanish sailors, and I expect this was uh, I expect this was late 15th century. That early Spanish sailors had reached the continent of South America after a difficult journey from Spain. And the ship eventually made its way into the headwaters of the Amazon. An expanse of water which was so wide that the Spanish sailors assumed it was a continuation of the Atlantic Ocean. It never occurred to these sailors to drink from the water now surrounding their ship. Because they presumed it to be salt water. And what eventually happened is that many sailors on that particular ship died of thirst. Can you imagine dying of thirst on a ship sitting on one of the largest freshwater resources on earth? Can you imagine the scene dying of thirst? When the answer to your thirst is right below your feet. Dear friends, there are people we know and love who are dying of spiritual thirst while living water flows beneath their feet. I want you to experience the fountain of life. I want you to be satisfied by Jesus Christ, but I want us to also be mindful that there are many around us who are thirsty and they don't even know it. They're not even aware of their danger and their predicament caused by their thirst. You remember my story about Snickers. How I would bring Snickers inside and lead her to her water dish. I wanted to make Snickers have a drink. I wanted to force her to take that water. But what I had to learn was that Snickers would take a drink on her own time. Snickers needed to figure out for herself that this would save her life. Nevertheless, it would have been cruel of me to leave her outside in the blazing heat. It's not my job to make Snickers drink. My job was to place her in proximity to the water. Christian friends, we cannot compel others to drink from the fountain of life. But it would be cruel of us If we didn't bring them to the water, it would be cruel of us if we didn't at least set it out before them and invite them, take a drink. It will satisfy. We've experienced this. Only God can satisfy your deepest longings, only Christ can quench your thirst. So let's go get a drink, but let's bring others along with us. In Jesus' name, amen.